good morning once again. It might seem strange, or a little strange, that we're coming up on the end of October, and the lessons appointed for today um, sound as if we're celebrating Easter today. Uh, the, all of the lessons, from the old, old first lesson to our psalm to our second lesson, the epistle from Colossians, and then our gospel lesson. Um, but that is exactly what we're celebrating today, is we're celebrating Easter. In fact, we celebrate Easter every single Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. We're celebrating the risen Christ. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Jesus goes through the passion. He goes through all that suffering from the moment he's arrested right after he celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples on that first Monday, Thursday. And he's arrested and he's beaten, he's flogged, he's put in prison. And that's the beginning of, the, actually the beginning of his passion takes place even before that in Martin, when he's praying to God the Father if it's possible of tough passion. And he's under such tremendous emotional pressure. And if we think the devil wasn't there trying to talk him out of it, then we're sadly mistaken. But Jesus wasn't talked out of the sacrifice that he knew he had to make for me, for you, for Michelle, for Michael, for Dominic, for everyone on this planet. And he willingly made the choice to make that sacrifice. And it was so much that the scriptures tell us he sweated it blood. His own blood, in the form of sweated blood, came out, went into the ground. Reminds me of, of how when Cain and Abel had their, you know, their sibling rivalry, if you will. And Cain killed his brother Abel because Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God. Because Abel's sacrifice was the best came from his heart. Cain's, Cain's sacrifice was an obligation, wasn't the best. And so Cain got jealous of Abel and killed Abel, first murder that took place on this planet. And God said, your brother Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground makes me think of Jesus' blood in that garden going into the ground and crying out to God the Father. All of creation, in fact, crying out to God the Father. And so Jesus suffers and he dies on the cross, willingly. He could have said no, but he said yes. And then he's taken down from the cross and he's laid in the tomb. Now, it's interesting, the scriptures tell us that he's in the tomb for three days, or on the third day, because the Bible counts time uh, in the evening and morning is the first day. So Friday evening is the first day, and Saturday evening is the second, and on the third day, on Sunday, he rises, the sun comes up. And Mary Magdalene was a close friend. We, we read about her throughout the scriptures, you know that Jesus extended love and forgiveness to somebody who um, 
society is just rejected. And there are many, many, many Mary Magdalene's out there in the world around us today. And Mary Magdalene went to the tomb that Easter morning, that first Easter morning. And what does she find? She finds that the stone has been rolled away. And she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. She ran and runs and she goes to tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. The scriptures tell us is John. And she says, I don't know where they took him. They took his body away. I don't know where he is. And so the disciples run to the tomb to confirm her story. And Simon Peter's a little confused because he doesn't know what to make of all of this. It's been a whirlwind. Remember, just a week ago was that incredible glory of Palm Sunday. The throngs, thousands and thousands of people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, and waving those palm branches and laying their coats and making that royal carpet for him as he comes riding in. If you were one of those disciples, you would have thought, this is it. This is the moment. Jesus is going to be king. That means I got a good position too, because I'm one of his closest friends. But this is what we've been waiting for. And then just a few days later, Jesus is not going to be the king. Jesus is dead on the cross and he's now laid in a tomb. What are they thinking? And so Peter is confused. But John goes in and he sees the scene. And the scriptures say that, that he understands. He gets it. He saw and he believed. But they didn't yet know that the scriptures said that Jesus must rise from the dead. They didn't really get all those clues that Jesus kept giving them along the way. And so what do they do? They go back to their homes. But Mary stayed there, the scripture just said, and she's weeping outside the tomb. And when she stoops to look into the tomb, what does she see? She sees two angels clothed in white, which is sitting where Jesus' body was. And I've shared this with you before. On one occasion in my life, I had the, the joy of seeing angels. And it was at St. Mary's building on Kings Canyon. It was when we were starting our service, and they were dancing at the front end, the back entrance, the front, whatever you want to call it, the entrance to the church. They were dancing back and forth in the center aisle. It was an amazing thing to see. And I just got goosebumps again, just sharing that with you. It happens every time, because it was such an amazing thing to see. They were clothed in white, white light. And so she sees these angels. So imagine what's going through her mind. I mean, what an amazing event. Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Jesus is in the tomb. He's gone. I have no idea where he is. I must, she must have been frantic. And then she sees these angels. What an overwhelming wave of emotion. And then they ask her, how are you crying? Why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken away the Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And then she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't know it's Jesus. And we can say, well, that's odd. Why? Well, think about it. We just talked about how overwhelming her emotions were like. She must have been fried out. Her brain must have been fried. 
the adrenaline, everything. But Jesus also looked different. And we know that from what we hear about when Jesus went on top of the mountain during transfiguration. He was changed. His clothes were bright white, brighter than anything else. His face shone like the sun. He was different looking. It was a glimpse of, of what his post-resurrected body would look like. And so I'm guessing she probably thinks it's another angel. Two, two inside the tomb and the one outside. And then she starts to have a conversation with him. And so now she thinks that it's the gardener. And she says, sir, if you know where he is or if you took him away, please tell me. And then Jesus says to her one word, Mary. And that's when she recognized who he was. And she says to him, Rabboni, which means teacher or rabbi. It was when Jesus said her name, Mary, that she recognized him. Because that's what a relationship with the Lord is all about. It's a personal relationship, more in-depth than any personal relationship any one of us has, whether that's with our spouse, whether that's with uh, our, one of our, our sons or our daughters or it's a sibling or a parent. The relationship with Jesus is more intense. It is more personal. And he says, Mary, and she recognizes him immediately. And so she goes to cling to him, and he says, don't hold me, because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Which is interesting. So I haven't gone to heaven yet. I've been busy for these few days. And the, the theology and the creed, we say he descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. So he's been busy for that time. The, the theology, and, and, and Peter tells us that he went and preached to those that had passed away already. And Jesus says, don't hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren, go to my brothers and sisters, and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father, and your Father, and God, my God, and your God. And so she goes, and she tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. She's the first evangelist. I've seen the Lord. He's risen. She goes and tells them all these things that Jesus said to her. So she goes and spreads the gospel, the good news of Christ, to the rest of the disciples. This is what we celebrate today. This is what we celebrate as Easter. This is what we celebrate as baptism. It's what baptism is all about, is being made a member of the body of Christ. It's accepting the relationship that Jesus calls out to each one of us and says, I want to be in this relationship with you. It's getting into that personal relationship of Mary, Rabboni, I know you better than you know yourself. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about. And then our baptism is the first step in that process. And it is a process. And it's a lifelong process. It's a process that we have to work towards. Just like any relationship is a process that we have to work towards. Can you at some point after your baptism turn your back on God and say, I'm done with you, Lord? 
Well, you wouldn't say it that way because you really wouldn't be done with him if you called him Lord. Well, could you turn your back on God and walk away? Yep. And lots of people do. Because they succumb to the temptations. They succumb to the evil one just whispering in their ears all the time, constantly, 24-7, to turn away from God. Because that's what he does. That's his sole purpose. He wants to keep us away from this relationship of Jesus being able to say, Mary, and recognizing him immediately. And so it is a lifelong process. Sometimes you take two steps forward and sometimes you take three steps back and then you go forward again. And it's hard because of all the bombardment that we have around us, everything competing with our attention. It's a hard thing. If anybody tells you being a Christian is easy and they have a rock solid faith and it's never shattered and it's never shaken and it's never questioned or not being honest with themselves, let alone being honest with you. But it's hard being a Christian. The promise to every Christian, to everyone who has this relationship with the Lord, is eternal life. The promise is Easter, over and over for every single one of us. Eternal life. And those, unfortunately, that reject that relationship with Christ, that eternal life is a life completely separated from God, which we call a life in hell. Total separation from God. Total absence of the love that he wants to have with every one of us. The love that existed before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Before God said, let there be light, and spoke everything into existence out of nothing, that love existed. And he wants to have that relationship, and that's why we have free will to choose to love, to choose to love him so that we can experience his love for us. Mary chose to love Jesus, and as a result, she experienced the love he had for her. And the moment he said Mary, she knew exactly who he was, regardless of what her eyes were telling her. I'll say another thing too, and, and this is not, um, I don't want to take, take away from anything that we're doing today, but you know, part of Easter is this new life, this new birth, this transition certainly. You know, we have different images of that. One of the ones that we like a lot is the transition that a caterpillar goes through when it becomes a butterfly, it's new life. And we're all going through a transition right now. This is my last Sunday standing at this pulpit to preach to my church family called Holy Cross. This is my last Sunday to stand at this altar and celebrate the Lord's Supper with you as the priest at the altar. And so there's this transition. There's a transition that we're going through as a church family. Uh, there's a transition for me, Peppy, and Andrew. As, uh, we're going to be getting in cars in another couple weeks, uh, two weeks, a week and a half, and driving 2,500 miles or so across the country. And transition's scary. 
It should be scary even for the transition of baptism this morning. Because life, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But the bottom line is we have to have faith and we have to have trust in the Lord. You know, we oftentimes hear of, of this is our hope. We talk about the gift of eternal life, the, the, the Easter promise, that it's our hope. But it's, almost, it's not just our hope, because it's Jesus' promise. If there's any hope involved in that, it's I hope that my faith is strong enough to be really genuine and that the devil's not fooling me into thinking that my faith is that strong, but that it really is. So my hope is in Christ and what his promise is. Because Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, God in human flesh, does not lie. And so when he promises us, whatever he promises us, what was it? Uh, can't remember his name, an old detective show. He can take that to the bank. Beretta, I think it was. He can take it to the bank because Jesus promised us. And so his promise to us as Christians and to the new Christians that we're going to be, quote, making today, that sounds kind of funny, is the promise of eternal life. That if you remain faithful to him, he will remain faithful to you no matter what. And wherever you go, because you're baptized, all of us who are baptized, we're baptized by water and the Holy Spirit, no matter where you go in life, physical place that you go, or a spiritual place that you find yourself in, or an emotional hit, or whatever, no matter where you find yourself in life, He's with you, because the Holy Spirit is with you. The scriptures remind us, our bodies are His temple. And so I would just ask for a moment of silence from the congregation to specifically pray for Michelle and Michael and Dominic, who in just a few moments are going to be making vows, and Ed is going to make vows on behalf of Dominic and uh, Michael, uh, making those vows to enter into this journey, to enter into this covenant with the Lord as they are baptized and become Christians. And so please just take a, a few seconds of silence specifically for that and for a hedge of protection to be built around them by the Holy Spirit to protect them from the fiery darts of